The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Today we're going to be talking about Certified legal investigators. But before we start that, I just want to uh, announce today is the fourth anniversary of PIs Declassified. And my guest today, Rory McMahon, is here to help me celebrate it. He's an author, a teacher, and a private investigator. Hey, Rory, how are you? I'm doing great. Congratulations on your fourth anniversary, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is... uh, Amazing that it's been four years, but today we're discussing certification, specifically a certification called Certified Legal Investigator. Now, that's offered by the National Association of Legal Investigators, and Rory and I just returned from a great conference of investigators held by the National Association of Legal Investigators in Denver, Colorado, just two weeks ago, huh, Rory? That's absolutely correct. Great conference, great speakers, lots of training. And so, private investigators have a number of certifications available to them um, used to increase their proficiency, their standing in their chosen field of expertise. Some trade associations, like NALI, have strong certification programs, programs, and, you know, those with value often have really daunting requirements. NALI, National Association of Legal, Legal Investigators, requirements are daunting, in my opinion, um, but they're really worth it. So, before we get into this, let's just hear a little bit about uh, Rory. What, you know, we, we, the question is, what is a certified legal investigator? What's required to become one? And Rory McMahon will answer these questions. So, but Rory, your background, you were a federal probation officer, correct? That's correct. And you worked in, uh, I know you, you live in Florida now, but you worked in both New York and Florida? That's correct. I started out, uh, uh, I was appointed a federal probation officer in the Southern District of New York, which is basically Manhattan, um, and in 1978. In 1982, um, after the influx of uh, Mariolitos and, and after Castro let all the uh, criminals out of his jails and uh, the insane people out of the asylums in Cuba, uh, they all moved over to Florida. And basically, uh, the Southern District of Florida, which is Miami and North, uh, asked for volunteers to move down to Florida uh, to help them handle the, the problem. And at that time, Southern District of Florida was probably one of the smaller or middle-sized uh, districts compared to the other 
94 districts in the country, uh, New York being, you know, one of the larger ones. Um, and within two or three years, Miami became the, uh, the third largest district uh, as a result of, of the, you know, tremendous increase in crime. So, of course, at that time, you know, I, I was living in, in outside of uh, New York City, and I was paying federal, state, and, and New York City income tax, um, um, and, as well as state tax. And uh, when I moved down to Florida, I, I just had to pay federal tax. There was no state income tax. Uh, there was no local income tax. So it was a no-brainer move to me. That occurred in, in uh, uh, 1982 and have been loving living in the sunshine, sunshine state ever since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, what were you doing before you were appointed as a federal probation officer? I, I was a county probation officer, Westchester County um, uh, when I graduated from college in 1972, I was an English major, and I envisioned a career uh, teaching English to high school students. Um, 1972, the war was still going on. You got a draft deferment for being a teacher. Could not find a job uh, in, in any high schools in, in the area where I was living. So my dad, being a product of the Depression, said, you know, the government always is, is you know, pays its bills and has, has need for good people. <laughs> Uh, so that's how I ended up. He had a friend in, in Westchester County Probation. I met with him. He recommended that I apply for the job. I did, and I enjoyed working um, in Westchester County Probation, but, uh, you know, the caseloads, I, I was supervising 100 um, uh, individuals on probation, and, I, I mean, the workload was just intense. Most of those people were... Uh, were, were youthful offenders between 16 and 18, and they really take up a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I became friendly with a couple of federal probation officers up in, in Westchester County out of their White Plains office. They recommended uh, that I apply for a federal job, which I did, and was you know subsequently hired, and the rest is history. Interesting. Well, it was interesting that you used the uh, term appointed as federal probation officer. Uh, When you're hired, does that actually become an appointment? It does. You're actually appointed as, uh, um, you know, as an officer in the federal system. It's probation and parole, and you're an officer of the court. So uh, in in both instances, I I was actually appointed. Interesting. And so what kinds of people, when you were with uh, the feds, what kind of people were you supervising? Uh, I was supervising when I moved to Florida. Uh, the, the, the function is twofold. Number one, we uh, they write uh, investigations on persons that are uh, convicted. Once they either plea or, or are found guilty uh, before they're sentenced, the probation office does what's called a pre-sentence investigation. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, it, it's a background investigation on the individual. The judge, you know, in cases where there's plea, uh, really doesn't know that much about the person. They they, they kind of know a little bit about the crime, but they don't know anything about the person. So we do a full uh, background investigation, and, and then all that material is, is presented to the judge. When I first started, there were, there were no sentencing guidelines, so all of the information was critical in, in helping the judge make the determination as to what was the appropriate sentence. And we actually made a recommendation as to what we felt was the appropriate sentence. Now, with sentencing guidelines, it's more of a numbers game, yeah. um, but that's pretty much w- one faction of, of what they did or do. And then the other thing is they supervised, in the federal system, they supervised people that were on probation, and it used to be parole, 
now parole has been abolished and it's called post-release supervision. Mm-hmm. But when I was working you know, between 1982 and 1990 in, in Florida, um, I was assigned to the special offender unit and I was working with uh, career criminals. So basically I had a reduced caseload and, you know, our mission was not to assist them in rehabilitation because there was obviously going to be no rehabilitation. They were career criminals. Mm-hmm. Most of them were either organized crime members or associates, white collar offenders, or uh, major drug traffickers. So basically my job was to catch them doing their job, which was being criminals. So, uh, <laughs> and early on we were very successful. So uh, it, it was a very interesting and entertaining job, but uh, working for the government, uh, you, you run into the problems. The people that, that were supervising me, uh, you know, the Peter principle is in full effect. Uh, uh, they never really understood the, the job, the, you know, the way it should be done, and they usually got promoted, and then they're trying to tell me how to do the job, and that, that doesn't work too well. Yeah. So, um, so this is interesting, Roy. So is the role of a federal probation officer uh, typically to assist with rehabilitation, and it just doesn't work with career criminals? Correct. Is that what I'm That's understanding? Correct. I mean, basically, really? they okay. have a set of conditions that they must follow, and, you know, if they don't abide by those conditions, then they're brought back to court, and, you know, the judge uh, will make the determination as to whether or not they remain, you know, in, you know on the street or, or they become incarcerated. Okay, and then your job, in your case, was to catch them doing something bad. Correct, and I pretty much explained that to them the first day. Uh, nothing personal, but, um, you know, I know, you know, you're an organized crime guy. I know that you're not going to, you know, take a job at McDonald's flipping burgers. So, you know, I know that you're going to continue to do the things that you do in order to earn money. Um, and unfortunately, they are elite, including associating with other, you know, known uh, convicted felons. So that right. that's, you know, condition number one that they... Uh, had trouble with. So, um, you know, if they're associating with with convicted felons, which they have to do in order to further their business, then that's a violation. And and at one point in time, when the uh, special offender unit was uh, first started in the 1984-85 time period, I I think that uh, I I was violating my uh, caseload at a rate of, you know, uh, one-third of the caseload was being violated at any point in time. Interesting. So that meant you had to be really um, proficient in all kinds of types of investigations to be able to catch them doing things like that. Correct. And also, uh, you know, utilizing, you know, local law enforcement, which, which I did on, on many occasions. Um, fortunately for me, there was an organized crime task force that was in Fort Lauderdale where I was working. And I became very, you know, friendly with the uh, uh, with the guy that ran that task force. As a matter of fact, after he retired, he came to work for me for a period of time, and we're still friends to this day. Um, so he would actually assign his people to look at some of my people, and, and we developed a great relationship. Uh, his his uh, officers and, and agents would, would uh, you know, follow my people around and document them associating with one another, and then I would use that <laughs> as evidence uh, for a violation of their probation or their parole. And then I also, you know, uh, would go to um, DEA agents that actually worked in the same building as me and, and told them who I was supervising and, you know, asked them to use their resources, informants and whatever 
to keep track of, of the individuals that I had. So uh, that was a great resource in terms of, of knowing, you know, what they're doing through, through, through contacts, my outside contacts. Um, and the same thing with, with white collar. I was uh, plugged into a couple different groups that, that monitored uh, white collar activity and, uh, you know, we would share information and, you know, that was usually the best way to, uh, uh, to effectively, you know, utilize my time. Okay. Uh, that's really interesting, Roy. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Roy McMahon and me. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Roy McMahon was just giving us kind of a thumbnail sketch of what he did in his prior life. But we are here to talk about uh, certifications. And just um, before we get into that, I know you got your bachelor's in English from Lemoyne, Roy. Correct. Syracuse, New York. And um, at one time you were working on your master's in criminal That's justice. Correct. Now, But now you're, um, you have your own company. Can you tell us about that? Yes, in uh, 1990, after I left government service, uh, the only thing that I felt like I really knew how to do was, was do investigations. Um, and I, I actually, fortunately, a, a friend of mine who had just started a, uh, a PI training program uh, affiliated with a local institution, uh, I had been a guest speaker a couple times for his classes. Uh, they were expanding the program. They asked me to... Uh, to consider being, you know, to teach that part-time. Um, so I did both. I, I 
uh, well, I worked for two other agencies for a brief period of time. Both of them happened to be retired homicide uh, detectives with two different uh, agencies. Uh, and after three months, I realized that they weren't going to teach me any of the tricks of the trade that I was looking for. And they basically didn't really know. They weren't giving me any help in terms yeah. of, you know, doing or working these cases. So uh, in January 1991, I opened up my own agency, and I've owned and operated it ever since. Um, but the fortunate thing for me was uh, I, I, did, I taught at this. Uh, initially, it was a, a certificate program that lasted uh, 40 weeks. Uh, and then within the first year, they rolled it over, and they became an accredited junior college. So at the end of a two-year period, uh, the students got a an associate's degree in science with a major in private investigation. That's it was terrific. the only school in the country that that offered a major in private investigation, and, and may still be the only. Uh, and I think actually they they may now have a bachelor's program, but I, I haven't worked with them since uh, the late 1990s. So yeah, I was I teaching I eight classes that were uh, private investigator related. Um, yeah. And it was kind of a great experience for me. You know, I felt like I knew um, how to do backgrounds on people. I felt like I knew how to do criminal investigations. I knew how to do, uh, you know, a lot of research and database searches. But I knew nothing about insurance or domestic or some of the other things that we do. So um, teaching was great because, number one, I always wanted to teach. So, it, you know, it satisfied that need that I had. Um, and it also, I think, gave me a leg up on uh, understanding the industry, and, and it made me a better investigator. So, you, you know, it was a win-win all the way around. Yeah, and you did that for 10 years, didn't you? Yes, I did, yeah. And that school is called City College now? That's correct. And, and where is it located? When I started, uh, it was just the main campus was in Fort Lauderdale. Um, when I left, until 1997, and then I, I would had you know moved out of the school and, and was basically doing my own thing but I would come back and teach some classes yeah and so do they have online classes as well as as brick and mortar they classrooms do not. it's just uh just a classroom setting and they and it was you know very daunting it was a uh, um each class was 4 hours so you had to be uh, you know part-time entertainer magician as well as teacher <laughs> uh you know to keep them focused for that period of time yeah, and I I agree. I there's it's the only program. I know there are other programs where you get a certification or maybe a some kind of a certificate, but I don't know of any other program that actually gives a degree in that in private investigation. Right, that's great. And I know you you've also been the author of seven books. Is that right? Well, I mean, basically, what, what happened was when I was teaching when I started teaching in 1990. Uh, the only books that were available were the Ralph Thomas books, Ralph being the uh, uh, founder of the National Association of Investigative Specialists out of Texas. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I'm scrambling around trying to find a textbook to teach these classes. And, and basically, Ralph's books were the only ones that were available. Um, so I would, you know, kind of, and I'm spending, you know, every day down at the library doing research for, you know, classes that I'm teaching. Uh, wow. I, I think I was about three weeks ahead of my students uh, <laughs> for some of these classes. Uh, but out of necessity, I, I would, I would try and lecture an hour and a half a day and then, and then, you know, plug in other exercises and things for the rest of the, the four hour session. Um, 
and then eventually I used my notes to write uh, what what became textbooks. And then what after I left in nineteen uh, in two thousand, I was approached by uh, CRC Press about writing a book which they were titling "Practical Handbook for Private Investigators." Mm-hmm. And I explained to them that I had all of this material and these these little uh, textbooks that I used. Uh, for these different classes, and if they were wanting me to basically incorporate all of that information into a book, that I would be happy to do that, and I felt that there was a, a, a definitely a need for that uh, for people that were interested in the private investigative field, both uh, as, as students and, and also, you know, people in the, you know, getting into the business. So that's what we did. Um, and then I also wrote a, a, another book with one of my associates, uh, about fraud investigation, and it, it was again a, a guy that I used as a contact when I was a probation officer, uh, and and he worked for the what was then the Florida Comptroller's Office, but he was charged with investigating you know criminal activities for the state, um, so he became a great resource for me, and he actually kept an index of of all the uh, fraud people that were operating in in Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County, so he was a great resource. For all of us that were working, you know, the fraud field, mm-hmm. uh, he he came on as an instructor, teaching my fraud class, and then he said, "Did you ever think about sitting down and putting all this stuff into a book?" Right. I right. said, uh, "I have, but just don't have the time." So he and I basically coordinated on that, and and you know, came out with that uh, book, which which I basically self published. And I can tell you, I've made a lot more money off of that book yeah. than I have <laughs> off of uh, the other book, which is published. Uh, um, but fortunately, it's been a, uh, a big seller for CRC Press, and uh, I just came out last July with, uh, with the third edition. Um, but I told them when they approached me five or six years before that about doing the second edition, I said, I'll only do the second edition on condition that you change the name of the book. And they, my editor said, absolutely not. We've never done it in the history of publishing. And I said, let me tell you a story. I said, a good friend of mine is a uh, retired detective from Fort Lauderdale, and when I showed him the first book, Practical Handbook for Private Investigators, he didn't even open it up. He, 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 I, I put it on his desk, and he threw it back at me, and he said, are you a moron? I said, I hope not, but why, what are you referring to? He goes, no person, no police officer or law enforcement officer is going to buy a book that's written for private investigators because we all think that we know more than you guys do. Mm-hmm. And I go, you can say that after teaching. He goes, I know what you're going to say. It's not me, but it's the most commonly held opinion. And, and being a person that I, that I trusted, I, I, I took that to the editor and I said, let's change the name from private investigator to professional investigator because it's not just for PIs. For anybody that does investigations, she said, let me run it by my people. Called me back two days later and said, for the first time in our history, we're going to change the name as per your recommendation. So the second and third editions are called Practical Handbook for Professional Investigators. There you go. go. That's terrific. Well, and the reason I wanted to go through your background like this is because you're you're certainly a great representative for talking about uh, a certified program. And I know you, you... have certifications yourself you have you have three or so certifications i, I have i have several and and again there's always a story uh back <laughs> when i was in in probation uh 
I, I would volunteer to go for training. I mean, you know, and my parents didn't raise a fool. If the government's going to spend money to send me somewhere to be trained, who am I to turn that opportunity mm-hmm. down? Number mm-hmm. one, uh, I wanted to learn, and number two, I like to travel. Um, so I, I've always been a strong proponent of, of training. So, um, and, and I've done that my entire career. So, of course, when I got into, into you know, the investigative field, the private field, um, I, you know, I felt that I was at a disadvantage. I didn't know as much as, as other people. So I, I, would, I would go to a lot of training conferences. I would go join a lot of professional associations because I strongly believe in them. And, uh, and I, I realized that, that to become certified in a certain field will help you, number one, uh, obtain clients. Number two, charge more money than, than uh, you know, people that I, my associates that I work with or compete against. And, uh, you know, would just give me more to offer to my clients. Exactly. So I currently am a certified legal investigator, a certified fraud examiner, a certified criminal defense investigator, and a certified international investigator. Okay. Now, the legal investigator, certified legal investigator, is the one we're going to be specifically talking about today. Correct. Uh, the certified fraud examiner is a whole different um, study. Totally, Correct. and and you have to study for that for quite a while, don't you? Uh, it, it's similar in, in terms of uh, basically, I studied for a year for that. Yeah, uh, it, it's similar in terms of you know how difficult it was, uh, but still, I, I I consider the certified legal investigator to be you know the the crowning certification you know uh, of my career. Okay. And then the Certified Criminal Defense Investigator is kind of interesting because there's two different groups that offer that designation. Uh, Brandon Perone, who we all know trains um, uncovering, what is it, Uncovering Reasonable Doubt? Correct. Course. And with that, you get a Certified Criminal Defense Investigator designation. There's also the California Public Defenders Association has the Defense Investigators Training Academy which is um, which also gives that designation when you complete four forty-hour courses. I did so, not know about the California certification. Yeah, yeah. and then um, of course um, there's a certification that's put out by As Is, the uh, Association of Security folks, and right. there's three of the three different ones on that. There's a certified. Um, Protection professional for security management. Right. There's physics, physical security professional for um, physical security people, and then for private investigators, there's a professional certified investigator. Right. So there's some available now. I, there may be others. I don't know of them. Um, and I, I actually wasn't familiar, Roy, with the international uh, criminal certified investigator. It's basically, uh, if you're a member of uh, CII, then they, you're designated by them as, a, as an international investigator. Well, I guess I am one then. How about I that? Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. See that? So, you, you told you something you didn't know today. <laughs> How about that? You could tell me a lot I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, so the program that's offered by NALI, National Association of Legal Investigators, Right. It. I mean, I can tell you, it's it's a it's a big job to to get that certification. It's well worth it, though. Absolutely. So, I, it. 
it, it was a very scary experience going through it, <laughs> as I'm sure you you also felt. Um, but once you were done, uh, I mean, it was exhilarating. And and I, I took mine in 1997, and you know, it, it basically redirected you know my entire uh, career. And uh, I, I mean, I attribute most of my success to the fact that that I have that certification. Well, it's it's really incredible because I mean it is <laughs> it is a little scary because you think if you fail, the whole world's going to know you failed. Right. <laughs> but um, take us through the steps of what it, what the requirements are. Okay. Well, basically, the the certification was uh, created in uh, 1973 um, by the National Association of Legal Investigators. And membership in, we'll, we'll call it NALI, so we don't have to give that name out every time, uh, is basically for two different types of investigators. The first one is for people that do criminal defense investigations. So whether it be on the federal, state, local level, if you work for an attorney that does criminal defense, you're eligible to be a member of NALI. The second area uh, of expertise to be a member is in civil plaintiff work where basically you're an investigator working for an attorney that's suing another uh, another party. Mm-hmm. So um, you're working not for the defense uh, of a, a civil suit, but, you know, in, in the, the person that's prosecuting the case, the, uh, the plaintiff. Now, exactly. um, what, what Nally would, you know, early on, the, you know, everything was based upon that. And, and you had to have... Before you could uh, test to become a certified legal investigator, you had to have five years of experience working as an investigator in one of those two areas. Now, working as an investigator, in addition to private investigators that you know are licensed in some states, some states you don't aren't you know don't require licensing, but there's also in-house investigators, and, and probably mm-hmm. early on there there were more in-house investigators that were part of the Nally family than there were the, the criminal defense investigators that were usually, you know, um, worked for their own agencies or other agencies and, and conducted the talk- uh, uh, self-defense uh, investigations. Yeah, when so, you're talking about... Uh, in- but now right. I, I think that most of the members are... Um, you know, licensed investigators that, that have or work for other, you know, uh, licensed agencies. So right. um, th- th- that's basically what, who the people are that are eligible to take the test. Then in actual, the, the process of taking the test itself, first thing you need to do is to, you know, fill out the application and you have to complete a 1,000-word uh, uh, paper thesis paper type thing on any investigative topic, preferably related to the, you know, self-defense or uh, plaintiff investigation, but it really, you know, covers the whole investigative field. So you, you, you submit your white paper, and once, assuming that that's approved, then you, you get scheduled to, to take a test. And it's an all-day process. The, the test is comprised of there's a written component, so theoretically, the, the written component would take place in the morning. There's like, uh, we're in the process of revising it. I, I think there's like probably 400 questions, and they <laughs> run the gamut from true and false, uh, fill in the blank, um, um, 
different uh, choose you know A through through D. You choose the correct answer type of thing. So and, and, and you have three hours to do that. So it, it's right. a very difficult examination, and there's also essay questions and, and, and short answer questions. So it runs the gamut of the, 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 the type, the way that the question is asked and, and the different areas that are covered. Um, so you, you, you have to be familiar with, with all of the, uh, the areas that are going to be covered. And, uh, and then following that, uh, there's two uh, oral components that, that make up the, uh, the afternoon session. The first one is you're given a scenario, and it depends on, on what, your, uh, what, what your, your, your area of specialty is. So if you do self-defense work, criminal defense, um, you, you can choose that scenario, or if you do civil plaintiff, you can choose that scenario. So you're given a, uh, a, a created scenario, and then um, you're told that you must go and interview the witness to that case. Mm-hmm. And there are three proctors that are assigned to each um, applicant. So you knock on the hotel room door where we're conducting this, and uh, and then you, you you know you you conduct an interview based on the scenario that you've been presented. At the end of thirty minutes, you're then told to to go out of the room and to write up um, you know a summary of, of what transpired, and then on a separate uh, sheet of paper, write up um, your impressions of the witness and, and other you know, things that you would tell your client about your interview with the witness. Mm-hmm. Um, you're then given an opportunity to, to you know, present all of that information and, and answer you know, follow-up questions by the, the three-member panel. Uh, once that's concluded, you're given a, a told to take a little break and clear out your, your brain, and then you come back for a 30-minute grilling by the three panelists <laughs> uh, with, uh, on questions relating to ethics. Yeah. So basically scenarios. If your lawyer called you up and told you they wanted you to do this, what would you do? What would you say? You know, that type of thing. Exactly. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it's intense. And uh, that, that's basically it. <laughs> it but is I, intense. I can tell you, <laughs> as fearful as you are going in, um, <laughs> one, once you've passed the test and... and if you fail one portion, you know, it's, you're basically, there's three sections. If you fail, if you pass two and fail one, you don't have to take all three over again. You just have to retake the, uh, the one that you failed. So, uh, and I don't think that we've had that many failures. We certainly haven't had that many failures in, in the last, you know, four or five years that I'm familiar with. But that, that's basically it. But once you're, well, and, you're done and you've completed it, the, the exhilaration is, is, is unbelievable. Exactly. So, uh, you, and, you know, and, you know, you feel like it, it's uh, quite an accomplishment. And you're presented with, uh, with, with you know, uh, a certificate, which I have hanging on my wall in my office, which I'm looking exactly. at right now, which is, uh, you know, uh, something that I'm very proud of. Well, and there's there's a whole list of recommended study materials. Uh, I believe there's let's see, six or seven. Um, oh gosh, there may be ten books that right. uh, are all about um, code of professional conduct by Kitty Haley, for example. Uh, Criminal investigations for the professional investigator by Warren Sani. Um, let's see, who else have we got here? You, your book, your practical handbook for professional investigators. Um, 
Dean Beer's Practical Methods for Legal Investigations, the one we mentioned, Uncovering Reasonable Doubt, the Component Method by Brandon Perone, all of those uh, and and more that you are... what my committee, I, I was appointed the CLI chair um, uh, last June. Uh, David Luther became uh, the national director. David mm-hmm. was the, uh, the former uh, chair of the committee that oversees the whole CLI program. Basically, um, what, what my committee did once I, I was appointed the chair, which, uh, again, was an unbelievable, honorable experience for, for me to, to have this position, um, I, I felt like the, the definitions uh, as to criminal defense investigators and civil plaintiff w- was not as clear as it needed to be. So mm. the first thing that, that my committee did uh, was to basically you know, come up with a better wording. I mean, they defined uh, previously criminal, uh, the, the civil plaintiff investigator as somebody involved in negligence investigations, but... Civil plaintiff covers a lot more than negligence, so we, so we redefined that. And the other thing that we did was we kind of expanded and clarified the, the criminal defense position. Um, Brandon's book previously wasn't part of uh, you know the recommended study guide, mm-hmm. um, and and I felt you know that it, it needed to be included, and I felt like it, it, it's something that. Uh, if you didn't come from uh, a criminal law enforcement background, um, exactly, you, you know, you, you didn't understand the full how how these things could should be conducted. And even those that did come from that background, this gives you, you know, a, a more of a layman's uh, uh, way of, of handling investigations. Mm-hmm. But um, I also expanded the the definition to uh, include. Um, people that work, investigators that work for public defenders' offices, whether they be, you know, federal, state, or local, those people, I, I think, were eligible. But it, you know, it wasn't clearly defined. It was, it was right. more typically uh, people that work for law firms that did criminal defense work, or you know, private investigators that had their own agencies that did criminal defense work. Now it's clearly delineated, and we are making a concerted effort to bring those people into the fold. Uh, they have their own association, the National Defense Investigators Association, uh, for the first time in history. Uh, Nally was invited uh, to be a vendor um, at their oh, conference, and, and David Luther uh, actually represented us there. So we're, we're reaching out to them, and, and we certainly want to include them in our family. And, and you know, I hope that we're going to see a lot of them, you know, coming into the fold. Certainly, a lot of people that that are in Nally have a background in that, you know, starting with uh, uh, Brian McGinnis, who's a really good friend of mine down here, Dave Wasser, uh, and then later on, Mark Marnan, you know, all came out of public defender's offices. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, mm-hmm. and I know that there are, you know, are many around the country, but it was just, you know, and then they went out to become private investigators specializing in that, and then you heard about Nally and became eligible that way. But so I kind of, you know, included them into the fold. And the second thing was, um, it, it can become a very expensive proposition between the application fee and then buying all of these recommended books. Mm-hmm, right. So, so what I did is, is I, I changed the process from um, there, there's a books list that's required reading, which means that these books that are on this list are books that were actually part of the testing, things that are actually you're being questioned on in the test. I see. And then there's a recommended reading list, which is 
books that you should have and books that may come into play, like in, in you know when you're doing the essay, um, you know you, you may glean information from these books that you could use, but they're not specifically books that you're going to be questioned on, but they're books that every investigator should have. And then the other thing I did was I created um, a rental program. Instead of you going out and buying 10 books and and spending 500 bucks, um, NALI, our our offices, you know, uh, administrative offices have purchased two sets of the required reading books. Oh, that's terrific. We will rent them out to applicants at a nominal fee. I, I, I think it's fifty dollars plus shipping, um, so that the, the student, the applicant, can then you know can rent the books, review them. Once they take the test, they have you know they send the books back to uh, you know to our headquarters. Um, but that way, they don't have to you know go out of pocket and spend the money. Um, you know they they can they can borrow the books. You know we we, we have a library now that we we loan them exactly. out to you and then you send them back to us. So I felt that that would, you know, kind of minimize the expense involved and and hopefully encourage, you know, more people to apply. Okay, Roy, do you have to be a a NALI member to take the uh, CLI exam? No, you do not. As long as you meet the the requirements, you know, uh, regarding uh, five years as an investigator, either in the uh, criminal defense or civil plaintiff, you can, you can, you don't have to be a NALI member and, and, you know, we have people that are CLIs that continue, you know, to to be CLIs that, that are not NALI members. Okay. And so how would somebody verify that they've been a criminal defense or plaintiff investigator for five years? Again, that's something that the committee does. Once we, you send in an application, we, we vet it. We basically, and you have to provide us with the names of, you know, the attorneys that you work for. And then mm-hmm. we interview them and, and, you know, determine that you meet the qualifications. Okay. Okay. And so then once you get that designation, what's required? After that, you're required to undergo um, uh, CE, you know. Uh, continuing education. Right. Continuing education units. Uh, basically, over a three-year period, you're required to have uh, 36 um, CEUs. And then we have oh. a, an actual uh, CEC, a Continuing Education Committee, uh, that's run by Diane Cowan that basically oversees that and, and you know, make sure that you maintain compliance in that. And if you do not, uh, you know, have your 36 um, Continuing Education units done, um, you know, then you could be suspended until you can commit to compliance or, or you can actually have your uh, CLI revoked. And that's, uh, you have to comply with that every two years, is that right? Every three that's years. Three, three years? Yes. Okay. And um, so you were talking about the test. Um, <laughs> I found the fill-in-the-blank questions were the most difficult. I just oh, yes. blank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some definitions. You, you, uh, but, yeah, the fill-in-the-blank is, is definitely a tough one. The easy one is the true and false uh, yeah. and the multiple guess. Uh, but uh, and then the saving thing can be the uh, you, you can get a, a lot of points for the essay. So you you know you're asked a question about a criminal defense case or or, yeah. uh, or something, and then you can really go to town on uh, on how you would handle that, and you know get ten points or whatever it is for that. And yeah, you get yeah, you get uh, a couple bonus uh, questions yeah. uh, so you can make up some extra points. But yeah, right. it, the, the written part of the test is is the most difficult by by far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's 
definitely an all-day project, 8 o'clock oh, in the yeah. morning to 5 in the afternoon. But you really feel a sense of accomplishment when, if you, uh, when you complete it, particularly right. if you pass. <laughs> right. Well, I think either way. I mean, you, you know that you've been through the grinder and, uh, you know, uh, the people that, you know, say don't pass the uh, – because uh, generally the ones that fail, it's usually the written test um, – you know, and, and some people come in with an attitude of how hard can it be, you know, some certifications are, you know, are, are not difficult to obtain. Um, this is not one of those. Uh, so, yeah. you know, they, they know once they, and if they've ever talked to anybody that is a CLI, you know, they would be clued in that, no, you need to take that very seriously. You need to read the books uh, because there are going to be questions uh, that uh, if you don't, if you haven't read the book, you're not going to know from, I don't care how many years experience you have. So um, yeah, they, they realize have, that they're up against it, and, you know, when they retake it, they, they better be prepared. They usually are. Yeah, and how many people have a CLI designation currently? Uh, you know? Currently, I, I can tell you that there are 72 that are active, and I, I can't tell you how many are either retired or, you know, take yeah. another status. Okay, all right. So, and, and that's down. I, you know, uh, I think when I got it, there was close to 100, and we kind of – always hovered in, in that range. Uh, um, we're, we're not having as many applicants as I would like, you know, in the last couple of years. Okay. So, again, and that's the reason for the uh, uh, trying to expand and clarify the definition so that, you know, people really understand who's eligible and hopefully we're including more people than, um, than initially thought, uh, you know, the requirement excluded them. And what do you see as the benefits? Why do it? It's a okay. lot of work. Why do it? Number one, for, just for uh, the, you know, the, the fact that you can then announce to the world that you specialize, that you've been certified as a legal investigator. So that, you know, that separates you from, I, I mean, in Florida, we have over 9,000 licensed investigators. Mm-hmm. So what separates Rory McMahon from, you know, the other 8,999 investigators? Well, number one, I'm, I'm one of, you know, less than 80 certified legal investigators in the world. Okay. So that's the first thing that separates me. And, and the other thing is I can charge more money. You know, when, uh, when I do criminal defense work um, or, you know, civil plaintiff work, and I charge, you know, $25, $50 more than, you know, my competitors that are, you know, do the same type of work, the attorney says to me, why should I pay you $50 more than I pay Johnny right. Jones down the street? Right. You're paying me more money because I'm one of 90 certified investigators that I've been tested. And that, you know, that certification, if I have to testify in the trial, that certification will hold me in, in a lot better stead than, than, you know, the person that's coming in that doesn't have it. Okay. And that will help you win your case exactly. uh, better because of that certification. Okay. We need to take up one more break. We'll be right back. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. 
is the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Author, teacher, and private investigator Rory McMahon is talking about professional certification, specifically the certified legal investigator that's offered by Nally. And you were just talking about the benefits, Rory, of um, why you think it's important to be uh, to have a CLI designation. Absolutely, uh, and again, you know, um, it's important. You know, there's a lot of investigators around the country, and it's important to kind of set yourself, you know. Uh, uh, in, in a niche and, and also uh, where, where you can, you know, sell yourself to your clients as, as being somebody that's got uh, more enhanced skills than, you know, your competitors do. And that's certainly what I've used, you know, my CLI status to, to do. To number one, with my background in law enforcement, I, I you know, enjoy working the, the criminal defense cases so, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to, you know, the first four or five years in the business, I did everything like everybody else did. And then, you know, I didn't like doing the surveillance and, and you know, working certain types of cases, the domestic and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, to really focus on the thing that I enjoyed uh, and the thing that I felt that I was good at. And, you know, nothing is a better advertisement than, than actually having the certification from the association that specializes in legal investigations. And how so, about when you and Roy? How about when you go to court? I, I mean, that's one of the first things that I make sure that my attorney, when they when they you know uh, uh, do their direct examination of me or cross examination, that they that they spell you know spell out that I'm a certified legal investigator. When I uh, when I get on the stand, I identify, when they ask me what I do, I identify myself as a legal investigator. And then that usually prompts, well, what is a legal investigator? And then I, you know, have to go into the explanation. So, mm-hmm. and the fact that I'm continually undergoing, you know, the, the training and, and, you know, getting uh, continuing education credit um, so that, you know, I'm keeping abreast of everything, all the changes and what's going on and new techniques. Exactly. So, you know, that the, the people, the jury that's listening, the judge that's listening, you know, are impressed with the fact that, you know, I'm just not resting on my laurels. I'm not a retired law enforcement that, you know, is just doing, 
you know, PI work and, you know, uh, based on that, I think I know what I'm doing. I'm actually, I got certification. I'm continuing to, to get trained in the field. And, you know, I have something valuable to offer to my clients to, to help them, you know, prevail in, in the case, whether it be, uh, you know, a criminal case or, or a civil case. Yeah, you know, some people don't like to be required, I'm putting quotes around required, to have to uh, comply with something like the, you're talking about the 36 hours every every two years. Um, but, it's, you know, it's staying abreast, what you just said, staying abreast of the new laws and the new procedures is so important if you're working in a legal process. It absolutely is. Another profession, to, and it's uh, 36 over three years, so 12 credits a year. Three years, okay. Um, All right. You know, lawyers have to do it, accounts have to do it, and, and, you know, I'm a professional. I, you know, I'm in a profession, I'm a professional investigator, so, yeah, I, I don't mind being required to, uh, uh, some states, you know, the state of Texas requires their investigators in order to be, uh, you know, relicensed to undergo uh, certification. I know. But I, I want to do it. I, I want to learn, you know, what's going on in the field. I want to be better at the job that I do. Uh, not only you know for myself, but for my clients and or for the people that I work for, so that you know they know that you know I'm on top of of my game and you know I'm on the A team and you know I I know the, the the best databases to use. I know other people around the country that I'm comfortable you know calling to ask them to come in and and you know and assist me or refer you know my clients to. Exactly. Um, because they're part of, of, of this, you know, club, this fraternity of, of legal investigators. And again, you don't have to be a member of NALI to be a CLI. Anybody that, that meets the requirements in terms of, you know, working criminal defense or, or civil plaintiff can, can become a CLI. And, you know, uh, it, it's a thing that, that NALI does for the industry. And, and my committee is totally separate and apart from, you know, it's a standalone thing. It's administered by me, the CLI chair, um, and, and you know we can't be dictated to by the board of directors of NALI. I mean, it's it's we're, we're a standalone you know uh, committee of of this. I mean, that pretty much sums up. I uh, you know it, it's been you know I've had it since 1997, and 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 I, I can't tell you you know how many you know cases it, it's helped me to get. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, I charge more than, than most of the people, you know, in my area because I right. have this certification. So, okay. uh, right. you know, it, it's a win-win in every direction as far as I'm concerned. It is. And we have to close. We're at the end of our hour. Roy, thank you so much. This has been very instructive. I appreciate you being on the show today. And thanks to Kevin and Brad, our engineers who manage the show in the background. Tune in again okay, next thank week. Thank you, Francie. It was a pleasure being on. You're welcome. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Roy. You're welcome. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.
need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. 